0: Today we celebrate Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem as king, just right before he's crucified for us, he's delivered over, he's raised again. I know two things are coming to this city of El Dorado, and I know two things that are coming to all of us. One of those things is revival, amen? It's coming in uh, like a freight train. I got two different people separately told me the same thing on the same morning this last week. Random, not connected, revivals coming to the city of El Dorado, and I can hear it. It's like a train. It's just rolling in. And I also know, secondly, that the great day of the Lord is coming. It is upon us. It is not a day. It is capital T, the day of the Lord is coming. We've had V-day. We've had D-day. And now we've got the day coming. And it is coming like a freight train upon us. Can you feel it? Can you feel the heat of the day of the Lord approaching? We're all in a spaceship. If you can imagine this with me, everyone on the planet right now who's alive is in a spaceship heading from Earth to the sun, for instance. And there's two different ways to stand on this spaceship one is forward, facing the sun, and one is backwards facing open space and blackness. One way or the other, we're all heading towards the sun. All of us can feel the heat rising. But the difference is the people who are facing the sun, it's growing brighter and larger in their view every day. They're looking forward to it. Those who are facing away, it's not really changing. They feel the heat of it though, but they're still looking into blackest darkness. But we're all headed towards that great day. The day of the Lord is upon us. And that is so strong in my heart this morning because living with that day in view changes us. It completely transforms our thinking. It transforms our living. With eternity stamped on our eyeballs, as Leonard Ravenhill says, we know we're going to the judgment seat of Christ. All of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What a sobering thing to think about. What a purifying thing to think about. Two weeks ago, we were in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2, I want to go to Romans chapter 3 today. Start off here. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. We've got a problem when we're born, as we know. We're born as slaves to sin, as little babies. We don't have to teach them to lie. They've got it inbred. They've learned it already well. We're born under the captivity of sin. And so when Jesus came the first time, he did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive, yes? And so the gospel can be summed up in one sentence a chapter after this in Romans chapter 4. Go with me to the end of chapter 4, verse 25. All of us born under the power of sin, and then Jesus came, and it says, and he was delivered, the gospel in one sentence, here we go. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus came and was put to death because of the sacrifice of sins that was necessary. We all know that. Lest we forget, though, what a big deal sin is in God's sight, that he had to slaughter his one and only son to take care of the payment. He was delivered over to death for our sins, raised to life for our justification. And so now we can say, praise the Lord, I no longer have to serve sin As my master, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a child of God and free, because his righteousness has been credited to my account. And so, as Drew said last night, we were praying, there's a difference between Christ's righteousness being imputed to us and living a holy life. And so, I've got Christ's righteousness credited to my account like a large sum of money in my bank account, but I don't have to live rich. I can live like a pauper still. I can still go to a title loan place to borrow money to live to be sustained on. But if I understand all that I have, then I can live accordingly. I can live as a wealthy man. Well, I've got Christ's righteousness imputed to me, but sometimes I don't act like it, right? Sometimes I don't live a holy life. But he actually came to set me free from that power so that I would walk in holiness and righteousness all of my life. This is the gospel in one sentence. He came to rescue us, to deliver us. He was delivered up for our sins. So the Lord Jesus is coming, and he's bringing revival with him. And the day of the Lord is coming, and it's bringing fire with it. Now, the day of the Lord is mentioned over 25 times in scriptures. The day of the Lord is when he comes back to do like he did in the days days of Noah and wipe everything out and start over fresh. Except this time he's not doing it with water. He's doing it with fire, right? Burning everything up. And this time fishes won't escape. This time's the bird of the air. Nothing is going to escape. He's burning all of the elements up. And so this day is a day, Romans chapter 2 says, when God judges the secrets of men's hearts. He's going to come and judge people's secrets through Jesus Christ. All that's hidden is going to be exposed on that great day. It's called a day burning like a furnace in Malachi 4. It's called a great and dreadful day. Revelation 6, kings, princes, generals, rich and mighty, and everyone else slave and free on that day, they're going to say this, fall on us mountains and hide us from the face of him who sits upon the throne and from the wrath of of the lamb. Why? For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? Yay, Palm Sunday. (laughs) The day of the Lord is coming. Listen to me. Hey, it's coming faster than you think. Hey, listen, everything done in secret is going to be exposed in the light. Everything is going to be shouted from the rooftops that was whispered in the ear. You will not get away with anything on that great day. Everything will be seen. He's coming to judge men's secrets, the secrets of the heart the quiet places now listen to me second peter chapter 3 if you think i'm being ramped up about this listen to this second peter chapter 3 this is what peter says about that day starting in verse 10 but the day of the lord will come like a thief when you don't expect it the heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Think about that with me. Not the earth and everything in it. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare, exposed, open, caught. Since everything will be destroyed... In this way, let me reason with you, Peter says. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, since this day is coming, let me ask you a question, church. What kind of people ought you to be? Prepared. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Because that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him. I thought I was made spotless in Christ Jesus. Absolutely, once and for all. But that doesn't mean you're living a holy life, does it? Make every effort then to get all of this stuff that's about to be exposed, exposed. Make every effort to say, I don't want that blemish. I don't want that secret. He's coming to judge the secret. I, I wanna deal with it now. So that I don't have to deal with it then. Because I promise you, we all will deal with it. And we will be on display. Listen, all of the heavenly hosts, all of the angels, and everyone. And either it will be a time of sorrow, don't listen to the the saying that there won't be tears in heaven, there will be tears in heaven. Much Many tears in heaven. It says he'll wipe away every tear. I'm convinced every tear he wipes away will be the sorrow on that great day of all that we could have possessed that we took no advantage of. Or the sorrow as we lay our crowns down, but then the junk gets burned up. We're like, oh Jesus, you're so worthy. I wish I hadn't done that, Lord. And he says, do it now. Because if you do it now, then instead of sorrow, you get gold. Yes? There's reward for doing it now. There's blessing for doing it now. Guys, listen. I was walking through the mall the other day. hadn't been there. Nobody could see me. But listen, my eyes, right? There's no way to walk through the mall as a red-blooded man without being majorly tempted. My eyes. The only way to do that is to abide in Jesus. Abide and keep my eyes on him, right? When that show comes on, guys to abide in him, right? To say, I made a covenant with my eyes. Jesus, I want you. The Lord sees that. The Lord sees it and he rewards it. And he also sees the midnight hour with the mouse click when no one's looking except everyone's looking. Yes? No one sees except God, which means everyone sees. Every secret will be exposed. What type of people ought you to, to be. It says in Malachi 4 that before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, he will send his servant Elijah. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, Elijah's going to come. Now, obviously, we know John the Baptist showed up before Jesus' first coming. But I tell you this, there is preparation happening right now. I'm getting to the crux of what I want to say here in a minute. There's a preparation happening right now of that great day that's about to happen here. Think with me for a minute about the 1st the first, uh, first King chapter 18 moment with the prophets of Baal and, and the showdown on Mount Carmel and Elijah. And there was prostitution and worship of uh, Baal in the land and there was no rain we read it this morning, three years, six months, and there's no rain. And Elijah came to bring revival. Well, what did Elijah do to prepare for revival? Well, there was prayer. He prayed to God and there was purification that happened pre-revival. In fact, he says, answer me, O Lord, answer me so that all of these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire came. And then after the fire came, what happened? They took the 450 prophets prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and they slaughtered them all. They killed them all. Well, what happened right after that? The rain came. Jesus... When he comes to Jerusalem, as we celebrate today, as king, what did he do? What was he doing when he came to prepare for the great revival, Pentecost, to be poured out a few weeks later? Well, he came and he cleansed the temple, yes? He came in and he turned over the tables of the mighty changers. The second time at the end of his ministry, First part of his ministry, he cleansed the temple, and at the end of his ministry, he cleanses the temple. So go there with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. I want to give you maybe a different take on this that, I, that I'm seeing here that I think is helpful for understanding how all of this ties together. Now, if, if you would... Pay attention to the text here because it's very important to see where the story lies in the text. Now, there's there's different uh, recountings of this story in Mark chapter eleven, Matthew twenty-one, and and in John. But but listen. In Luke chapter 19, I think this is so specific, because Jesus, before they, they go to Jesus coming into Jerusalem as king, they, finish, they, they they have a story right before that of the 10 minas, remember? He hands the minas out, and they some produce, and some don't, and they're called wicked servants, but some people send a delegation. They say, we don't want Jesus to rule over us as king, and so right before you get Jesus coming into Jerusalem, you have verse 27. It says this. Jesus says, bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them. Bring them here and slaughter them in front of me powerful language from the lamb slaughter them in front of me those who did not want me to be king and then he gets on his donkey and he's going to jerusalem so so walk with me through this text verse 28 after jesus had said this about the deal with the king and slaughtering my enemies after he said that he went on ahead going up to jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go in the village ahead of you, you enter it, you'll find a colt there, untie it and bring it to me, right? And you get to verse 37, he's riding. people are, are, are putting down their palm, the palm branches and their cloaks. When he came near to the place on the road that goes to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And this is what they said, Psalms 118. They said, blessed is the king. Blessed is the king. Right before this, the people said, we don't want you as our king. And he said, kill them all. And now Psalms 118 is coming out of their mouth and they're saying, blessed is the king of kings who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Then he says this in verse 40, I tell you, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, Jerusalem, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. This happened in AD 70 with Titus, the Roman prince that came in and sacked Jerusalem. Listen, verse 44. He just said something about stones. Now, listen to verse 44. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple, now we jump right here in, in, in Luke 19, we jump right there from him saying that to Jesus entering the temple, but Mark 11 shows us what happened, is Jesus actually shows up in Jerusalem, he walks through the temple, and he examines everything. It's evening, he goes back, and he, and he, and he sleeps that night. He goes back and he sleeps he sleeps and at Bethany and then in the morning he gets up and on his way back to the temple he curses the fig tree he sees leaves but no fruit and then after that is when we get to verse 45 and then Jesus entered the temple courts and he began to drive out those who were selling it is written he said to them my house will be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of robbers okay so we all know this story and we know what he said about the stones if These people are quiet. The stones themselves will cry out. Now, remember what context we're reading this in. This is right after the story about the king slaughtering everyone who doesn't want him to be king. And then we have these people shouting out, we want you to be king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he says this thing about the stones. Now, we sang about it this morning. It was so good. The rocks won't cry out. So we want to praise your name. This is absolutely true. The the, the context of praise there is, is essential, we, we don't want the rocks to cry out, so we praise. But that's not the context that this, this word was lifted from in the Old Testament. Where, If you look in your Bible, you see the little margin thingy right there? People have done all the hard work for you. You, you don't have to go you know, be a scholar to find this stuff out. Just look in your margin. Well, if you look in the margin, at least in my Bible it is, in verse 40, there's a reference there to Habakkuk chapter two. And it, it's a little bit hard to find, um, I don't want to embarrass anybody uh, by uh, by making you flip there if you don't want to, but uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, a little known minor prophet, is, is what I want to read out of here. Now, listen. Now, he just said the words about the stones crying out, and he's referencing Habakkuk chapter 2 here. Now, in this context, Habakkuk is saying, uh, Assyria... Punished Israel, and now Babylon is coming to punish Judah here. So in this context, he's saying, how can someone so evil like Babylon be used to fulfill your purposes? Okay, so stay with me. So Habakkuk chapter 2, he's crying out to the Lord. He's making his complaint, and he's, he's saying a woe to the Babylonians here. He's saying a woe to the Chaldeans. And he says, woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain. Babylon. Woe to Babylon, because they've built their house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have, verse 10, you have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. Verse 11, the stones of the wall, of the house of Babylon, the stones of the wall will cry out, And the beams of the woodwork will echo it. The beams will echo back to the stones. And they'll say, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. This is what Jesus is referencing here in Luke chapter 19. Okay, so listen. What he's saying here is that these stones are crying out as witnesses. These, these stones are being drawn up in a court of law to give testimony to what they've seen and heard. Now, Joshua chapter 24 says stones are witnesses. This is what the altars are used for. Stones witness against you for the sins that you have committed. They testify against you. You've heard the phrase, if walls could talk? Well, they can, and they will someday. All of creation is testifying right now. Surely stones are testifying. The stones in your house. The stones of the walls of Babylon are saying to Babylon, you've committed injustice. You've built this wall on bloodshed. And so what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 19, and the the Pharisees know this, he's saying, you, Jerusalem, have built your house on bloodshed. And violence. So listen. This is what I'm trying to get at. Jesus is saying, "Listen, Pharisees. If these people do not cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then guess who will cry out? The stones. Y'all don't want the stones to testify about me coming because what I should be doing is I should be destroying Jerusalem right now. I should be bringing my fire right now and burning everything up on my day, but I'm not." He showed up, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey to praise. It was not the time for the stones to cry out in testimony against the people of Israel. But church, that day's coming. So when he says, in Luke 19, not one stone will be left on another, he's not talking about rocks on the ground. When he says these stones cry out, he's talking about stones in the wall of Jerusalem. Y'all don't want me to do what the stones are asking me to do right now. What y'all want me to do is come into the sounds of praise and save my people from their sins. And so in that context, precious Jesus comes in and he goes to the temple. This is what he's doing right now, church. He's coming to the temple of our hearts and he's overturning the tables of the money changers. Was it wrong to buy and sell in the temple? Absolutely not. It was actually called for in Deuteronomy because foreigners who come needed to have an exchange to go make sacrifices. What was wrong is they were using extortion and they were cheating and they were lying and they had turned it into a house of merchandise instead of a house of prayer. So the Lord Jesus went into the temple and took some things that weren't inherently wrong. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You have permission maybe to do them but you know you're grieving the Holy Spirit when you do it. And he's turning it upside down and he's cleansing the temple. And he says, let's start over before that great and terrible day comes. So, why am I saying this today? Because I believe that the Lord is giving all of us an opportunity in this season to let him do a refining and a purifying work in our hearts before that great and terrible day comes. The pure in heart will see God. Such a blessing to walk in purity of heart. Jesus is not coming to hurt. He's coming to help his church because he's coming back to a pure and spotless bride. Yes and amen? He's coming back to a people who adore him and they're no longer committing adultery with the world. Go with me one last spot here to Malachi at the very end of our English Old Testament. Right before 400 years of silence, we have Malachi prophesying. Now in the Hebrew Old Testament, the, the end of, of that is is Second Chronicles 36 where it has a rebuilt temple, a restored temple. It's a beautiful story either, either way you read it. But the English Old Testament ends in Malachi. And he says this, this is how he sums it up for us. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Think about that great day when everything is laid bare. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like, and this is us, he is coming to us like this, like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap, a fuller's soap, removing impurities and uncleanliness. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the priests, the Levites, and he will refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who brings offering who bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by in former years. See, the Lord's not coming to destroy us; He's coming to clean us, to wash us here. Jesus did not come to save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. And the Lord is doing a work, I believe in multiple of us right now, where he's going deep into heart level issues, the secrets of the heart that must be revealed. When we take him as Savior and Lord, we also take him as purifier and refiner. His hands are all over us when he's doing this, when he's washing us, when he's purifying us in the fire. His hands are all over us. He's not leaving us or forsaking us. He's going deep. Where are you at with that today? Where is your acceptance level of the Lord doing this purifying work? Doors wide open, saying, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any unpleasing way in my heart. Come, make your home in my heart. Or is there closed off secrets? No, I will not give that up. And I believe that the Lord at the end here is saying, this is in preparation, Malachi chapter three, to the great day of the Lord that's coming in Malachi chapter four. I'm coming as a refiner and purifier for my church in Malachi chapter three before the great and terrible day of the Lord in Malachi chapter four. Cooperate with it. You will not regret it, church. Let him go deep inside of your hearts during this time. Those of you who are married in here maybe have possibly once in your married life had a dream where you have committed adultery, your spouse, or your spouse has committed adultery on you. And some of you have had to live through that dream in a reality. And it's the most gut-wrenching thing. And those are terrible dreams. And those are dreams that make you feel dirty inside, yeah? Don't raise your hand if you've had one, but this last week I had one, and I was miserable when I woke up, literally wondering if it had happened, and I felt sick to my stomach. Ironically, it was right before I preached this last Sunday morning, just wrestling with it in my heart, just, ugh, and in this dream, after I had committed this act, I tried to cover it up, and a man walked in the room where this had happened, and I told him, get out of here and shut the door behind you. I don't want it to be seen. And then a godly woman, a mother in the faith, walked in the room, and she was full of the Holy Spirit and joy, and all I could think about in the dream was getting her out of the room as fast as possible, because I felt so convicted by her presence. And I just wanted to get her out. And what I for sure didn't want to have happen is her godly husband to walk in the room and see right through me. And next in the dream, I was told that a man had installed security cameras all over the church building that I was in, the conference center. And I knew right then that everything I had done was recorded. And I confessed it in a dream to a brother. And right before I woke up, I was deciding how I was going to tell my wife about this. It's time to preach Sunday morning. Preaching on Thanksgiving. I felt miserable. But you know what really helped me in that dream? Was I got to taste for a moment and see what happens to the human brain when we accept sin as a secret and hide it. And when we sell the truth, when we release the truth, and what happens is it's conceal and protect and accuse those who are coming into the room that are bringing the light and separate myself from them as fast as possible. My brain actually got twisted around. Instead of loving the truth, I hated the truth. And what the Lord revealed in that is what all of us have experienced when we hide and conceal our sin, it makes us miserably sick inside, and there's no satisfaction in it. And I believe the Lord Jesus was giving me and giving us an invitation to say, let it all come out into the light, because everything is being recorded in high definition, backed up a trillion times, everything is being recorded, church.
1: Um, I didn't know that this is what he was preaching, and this was the word I got this morning. I just had to share it. It's Isaiah 30. It says, "Um, For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, Do not see, and to the prophets, Do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found to which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. And then he says, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. And he goes on, um, I used to agree with that word. I, when there's sin in our hearts, it's... I, Every time, it's like, I just want to hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. And I've been talking to Asher so much about when do you confess? When do you confess to the Lord? When do you confess to others? And he has such a tender heart, just willing to confess. Get it out. And that's so good for me, just because it says, at the sound of your cry, he hears you and answers you. At the very sound. And... So I I long for that. I long to be more pure so I can see him more. Not to be satisfied with what we have. Yes, we know him, but there's always, always more. And if we allow these things, it will collapse in an instant. We will either be smashed or we will fall on him. So.
0: So yay, Palm Sunday, everybody. Jesus is marching into the temple of your heart Today and every day and advancing even more quickly as the great day of the Lord approaches. I wanna, we wanna invite you to build no walls and to put no locks on the door of your heart and to say, Jesus, come in and refine and purify my heart.